Our text tonight, James 1.22, uh, one simple, uh, powerful, concise verse will, will be the subject of our study. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that you would speak to us in your word and you would help us, Lord, to be those who would immediately and faithfully respond. We ask that you would renew in us our obedience and give us new levels of obedience to your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. So to review, I just want to look at the uh, words uh, that James uh, describes uh, God's word in this section. I know I, I messed that sentence up, but his use of the names of God's word Chapter 1 and verse 18, he calls it the word of truth. By God's sovereign will, it says, he brought us forth by the word of truth. God saved us by application of the word of truth. Uh, secondly, in James 1 and verse 21, he calls it the implanted word. The word belongs in our hearts. That is its destination. That is its purpose. We think of the parable of the sower. The good soil was the one that brought forth the hymn that we just uh, sang. Take your truth, plant it deep in us. Th that's where it's supposed to go. It's supposed to be planted. That the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Believe, receive, and obey. That's, that's words of obedience uh, right in the hymn. It's the implanted word. And we saw that the implanted word is able to save our souls. It has power in and of itself. We look at the book. It sits on the pulpit. It, it's just paper and ink like anything else. But this is actually alive. It's powerful. The words in that can be used and spoken to men and their souls would be saved. He said, clear out sin. Receive with meekness the word. It has the power to save your soul. And then in verse 22, 23, and 25, uh, James brings about the hearer and the doer contrast. First of all, he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, not merely hearers. And then comes his illustration. If anyone is a hearer and not a doer, he's like this. He's like that man that looked in the mirror and, and then forgot. And then finally, here's the blessing. Verse 25, no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. There's a blessing for those who don't leave it there and keep going. But then James looks at the, the word in two different ways. The person who hears and acts, he looks into it and perseveres, and James calls it the perfect law and the law of liberty. And that's what God's word is in it. You might say, well, they, they sound like unique descriptions, but they're, they're, they're just biblical descriptions. In Psalm 19, verse 7, David says, the law of the Lord is what? It's perfect. It revives the soul. In Psalm 119 and verse 45, he says, I shall walk in a wide place or I shall walk at liberty for I have sought your precepts. Uh, obedience 
is freedom. We don't think of it that way. You think of, oh, the law, he's talking about the law. Oh, that law is bad. No, law is good. Law is wonderful. Law is beautiful. Psalm 119, it's all about the law, all the things that the law did. And James says it's the perfect law. David said it revives the soul. What could, be, what could not be perfect about that? And it is the law of liberty. I walk in a wide place. If I obey God's commandments, I have a freedom that nobody else has. That's the point. And so our outline this evening will be the two commands, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And then the great danger, deceiving yourselves, is very simple. The words of the text join with uh, the previous. He said, get rid of all sin, receive with meekness, that posture of meekness, uh, the implanted word that's able to save your souls. Then he says, but don't just stop there. Don't just stop with listening. And then he says, be a hearer. It's imperative. Uh, or, or be a doer and not just a hearer. Don't stop. And then, simple, deceiving ourselves, misreckoning, outthinking. One translation says, fooling yourself, kidding yourself. It's obvious that his point uh, here is that these words and the characteristics of the Christian uh, go together. Uh, James is teaching us that hearing must be united with doing, and the better that you hear, the better uh, that you will do. So the positive command, be doers of the word. Put God's word into practice. It's not a new teaching. Uh, I'm going to read passages all evening because it's just not a new teaching. It's everywhere in the scripture. Old Testament examples, Leviticus 26, 3 and 4. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out, then I'll give you rains in their season, etc., Deuteronomy 5, 32 and 33. So you shall observe to do just as the Lord your God has commanded. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. You shall walk in the way of the Lord your God that he's commanded you, that you may live. Deuteronomy uh, 6, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God, and walk in his ways. It's a, a trans, transferal always uh, from hearing what God said uh, to doing. David says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The, the path is the doing, your way in the Old Testament. Your path is what you're doing. He didn't just say, well, I got a flashlight. I could see where my feet are as I'm walking around. He says, no, your, your word is like looking out as I try to follow your statutes and follow your ways. A very important passage in the teaching of Jesus. He's summarizing the, the entire Sermon on the Mount. This is important, vital teaching. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and yet it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Conversely, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. 
the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell and great was the fall. The idea was that the, the house was completely destroyed. We, we, live, we have lived long enough to see highlights after highlights of hurricanes slamming the coast of North Carolina or hurricanes slamming into the, any coast and see houses literally wiped out and cast into the sea. Part of us would say, well, why did they build it there? Well, they never anticipated that storm. This foolish man never anticipated that. And all he did was build his house. He said, look, here's my house. This is a great house. But it was built on sand. Matthew 12, 50. Whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and my sister and, and my mother. We actually, we actually have a fellowship with Christ like we heard this morning early. A fellowship with Christ as his brother or sister just by listening to what he says and, and doing it. John 13, 16 and 17, truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. John continues in his epistle, his, his words of knowledge, by this we know that we have come to know him. What a statement. How can you tell if you have come to know God, if we keep his commandments. And here's another converse statement. The one who says I've come to know, here's a person who says I know God and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. There's a void of truth in the person's heart who says I know God but doesn't keep his commandments. And then look at this blessing. Whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. It's been, it's been brought to a completion because you got the point. You hear and do God's will. Then your profession is sound. Then your profession rings out and says, I really do know God. Third John 11, beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. And so we, we collate maybe the passages that we looked at. We've seen it's wise to build your house on hearing and doing. The results of this, of not doing it, are disaster. Doing what God says always shows that we acknowledge his lordship. Who's the master? You are. Whose words do I do? You, yours. Whose do I carry out? I carry out God's words. Several passages spoke of the blessings. Several passages uh, talked about doing God's will. John said the one who practices righteousness was righteous. We should be stirred by the text and, and see the blessings that are uh, associated with being doers of the word. And, and then the negative command, the cautionary command, the danger, and not hearers only, or not merely Hearers, as the NAS says. Very, very concise uh, language he uses. Not hearers only. The positive command told us what we should do. This phrase tells us clearly what we should not do. He's instructed us about that. Proper hearing is just the beginning and not the end. 
and not the end. Manton uses a good illustration. He says, hearing is good, but should not be rested in. They that stay in the means, the means of hearing, are like foolish workmen that contents himself with having of tools. Uh, at home, I have lots of tools because I worked in construction. And I could go into my garage and I could tell people, look at all these tools. Look at all these Bosch tools. That's a Bosch saw. And they're all battery operated. I didn't want cords around. Look at all these tools. Well, what projects are you working on? Oh, none. Well, I heard the message last night. I heard what Pastor Art said. I heard what, uh, what Michael said this morning. I listened to it. Well, did you profit from it? Oh, no. No, I just went home. I, I mean, I had to get, to, I had to get lunch. The, the workman has tools, but, but that's all. Hearing is one of the means, but not the end. Manton goes on to say, duties by many are used as a sleepy sop to, a ra ra to uh, allay the rage of conscience. Just absorbs it. Oh, I, I heard. I heard what it was. And it's a sleepy sop. A sop is like absorb, right? You, you sop something up. You, you absorbed it, but it didn't do any good. It's a sleepy sop. Go, go to sleep, conscience. Matthew Henry really nails it on the head. He says, it is not enough to remember, to be able to repeat what we hear, to give testimony to it, and to commend it, and to write it, and to preserve what we have written. Six things is not enough. That which is all this is in order to, and which crowns the rest, is that we be doers of the word. And can you imagine that? It's not enough if I remember, repeat, give testimony, commend, write, and preserve what God says. It's hard to imagine you could lose it. But if I don't act upon it, if I don't obey, it's no good. The children on the way home, what were Pastor Art's? Uh, points they could say boom 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 and he quoted these six verses and he quoted that and he finished with these two applications and you would say wow that's really good but if they don't obey if we don't obey it's nothing you you just did those six things that Matthew Henry said Amen. and then we can look at, at, at people who are hearing impaired hearing impaired you know that on television there are programs and they and they have subtitles at the bottom because people can't can't hear they have to see but there's people that are spoken of in the scripture that are like that all the time manton mentioned the the conscience before a a, a, a sop to allay their conscience and he uh, p points a lot about the conscience because it's all about your conscience your conscience has to be in tune and telling you the right things Oh, my conscience, this, my, no, no, no. All these people had something wrong with their conscience, but it was giving them the wrong information. Notice the, the Jews, first Jesus indicts them. John 5, 39 to 40, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It's these things that testify about me and you're unwilling to come to me that you may have life. It's just the mere utility of of reading. Well, we, we're experts in the scripture. We're experts in the scripture. And Jesus says, but your conscience should tell you that I'm the Messiah. Something more than just reading. No, no. I read five chapters this morning. I'm reading through the Bible in, the, in a year, twice. I've got the Spurgeon devotional. I've got this. But are you doing God's word? He talks to people about the critical spirit. 
what shall I say and compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace who call out to others, we played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We sang a funeral dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon. And the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax gatherers and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her. Her deeds. Here the people's consciences are, 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 are all out of sorts. They're given the wrong information because they want to hear the word the way they want to hear. Oh, that guy's too forceful for me. I want to hear something nice and quiet. Wisdom is vindicated by her deeds of receiving the word of God in the way that he ordains it. In the way that he ordains it. The, the people in our generation, the people that Paul warned Timothy about, they wanted somebody to tickle their ears. They, they wanted to listen to preachers that they favored the tunes. You couldn't come preaching judgment. You couldn't come and say repent. You couldn't sit down with, with sinners. That didn't meet their criteria. Here's another woman that has the wrong view. While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said on the contrary, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. It's not just about, it's not just about him. Here's, here's this, woman, this woman expresses her version of, uh, Your parents must be really proud of you. And he says, No. That's not the point. The point is, it's blessed to hear God's word and to do it. And then in Ezekiel 33, verse 31 and 32, here are people that are, are hearing impaired as well. This is, a, this is a strange example. As for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. Let's go hear some preaching. They come to you as people come and sit before you as my people and hear your words, but they do not do them. For with lustful talk in their mouth they act, their heart goes after their gain. Behold, you are to them like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument for they hear your words, but they do not practice them. What a terrible example. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait till next time Michael comes. I can't wait till this person comes. I can't wait till uh, uh, Pastor Art sits down. What, what are we after? What are these people after? Let's go hear some preaching. Let's go hear some preaching. And all they wanted to do was just hear. They weren't going to do what God said. It's a grotesque example. Manton says they were taken with the tinkling and tunableness of the expression, but did not regard the heavenly matter. Oh, I like that. I like that way. When he says that, I like the way this person says this. I like the sound of his dynamic voice. But, 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 but God says, well, it was just like a drinking song to them, like a lustful song. And, and there, there was no change in their heart. And notice God's omniscience. He tells Ezekiel exactly what's going on. I, I wondered about that because do you think Ezekiel knew? 
Oh, we came. Oh, pastor, we came to hear you. We came to hear your word. We came to hear your word. Did, did he know what was really going on? Did he, did he know? And God told him. And it reminds us that God knows our motives, our goals, our desires, and our resolve. There's also dangers of hearing that are associated with, with the end of the age. Uh, uh, among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women who are weighed down. They're, they're always learning and they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Can you imagine that? Paul tells Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come. They will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. Pile up teachers, accumulate. Teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside, wander off, wander off uh, to myths. Uh, I, I do try to keep track of some of the false teachers, and one of the points recently was that there is a great acceleration of false teachers because anybody can grab a microphone and grab social media and get on television and start something up, and that's, that's been very true. There's a proliferation of false teachers. After, after time, and, and we see it, uh, the sad result is that they'll prefer to hear myths. I hear what some of the false teachers say, and I say, how could anybody ever listen to that week after week after week? And then, in several places, there's the hearing impaired because they're spiritually immature and they don't grow up. Ephesians 4, 14 and 15, the, the purpose of the pastoral and teaching ministry is to build up and to strengthen. And here, as a result, we should no longer be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and the tricky of, trickery of men by craftiness and deceitful scheming. There's false teachers again. Every wind of doctrine, all this new stuff seems to come. And, the, and the, the, the mark of the false teachers is it's not really new. They're just teaching Arian heresy. They're just teaching other heresy. They're just teaching modalism. They're just teaching things that the church tried to deal with in the third century. But he says we shouldn't be like children tossed. Hebrews chapter 5, what, what an amazing thing. The writer to the Hebrews is building his argument. He's building his argument about the greatness of Christ's priesthood. And he says, I'd like to talk to you about Melchizedek, but I really can't. We have a lot to say about him, but you've become dull of hearing. There's people that are, that are opposite. They're going backwards. They're not hearing ready to do. They're becoming duller in their hearing. They're declining. That's bad. He goes on to say, by now, you should be teaching other people. But what I have to do is stop and go back over the ABCs. If I stood up here and I, I, I started talking about the basics of the scripture, some of you might say, well, that's a little offensive. I, I, that's just the basic stuff. We know that already. But that's what the writer to the Hebrews said. I can't go on 
he he pictures these people like like ground that is soaked up rain and, and it hasn't had an effect. So this is a compilation of spiritual tragedy related to those who are hearing appear, impaired and not doing. Some look at the scriptures and miss the meaning. Some actually go to hear preaching and fail to profit. Their goal is their own lust. Some make no progress. Others get tired of truth and sound doctrine. And some find more pleasure in myths than truths. And then here is the great danger because this danger is reflexive. If you don't do and hear only, you only hurt yourself. I can remember my mom at certain times says, well, you're the only one that's getting hurt by this, right? If you, if you don't do God's will and you just hear, you're the only one that's getting hurt by this. Maybe it'll spill out to other people, but it's deceiving yourself. The word is a, a compound word. It's only used two times in the New Testament, but the two words together mean alongside of or around. And the second of the two words means to count or calculate or enumerate. So together, the idea is to make a false reckoning, to misreckoning, to deceive, to delude, or, or circumvent. The only other place is Colossians 2, verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you, talk around you, talk you in circles with plausible arguments. And that's the idea. Uh, Matthew Henry picks up on it. If I'm hearing and not doing, I'm giving myself a plausible argument. Well, you were there in the chair. You sat there. You listened for 45 minutes. That's it. You heard. That's the plausible argument. Paul knew that, that the, the Colossians had to focus on Christ. Almost universally, the, the lexicons and some commentators uh, describe this word as a, a sophism. Uh, we have uh, philosophy. It's a person who loves wisdom or loves knowledge. A sophism is a plausible argument that is actually false. Well, I heard the word. I'm fine. No, that's, that's a plausible argument, but it's false. Sophistical argumentation or reasoning sounds and appears good, but it's really false. And Matthew Henry picks it up. The text speaks of men's arguing sophistically to themselves. Now, that's, that may sound fancy, but hear what he says. Their reasoning is manifestly deceitful and false when they would make one part of their work discharge them from the obligation they lie under to another. So he's saying, I listened, and that discharges me from doing. That's a false argument. Or they persuade themselves that filling their heads with notions is sufficient, though their hearts be empty of good affections and regulations and their lives fruitless of good works. So they either say, this part of the work is all I'm going to do, and that does it. Or I'll persuade myself that all I have to do is have a lot of Bible knowledge, and that's done, even though it never spills out. It, the good works and affections and, and all these things never spill out. He says at the end, self-deceit will be found the worst deceit at last. You cannot be deceived worse than deceiving yourself. The scripture talks about 
deceit all over the place. Satan's goal is to deceive the nations. It's all over the place. We, we can't be naive. We can't say, well, I'm protected. I go to FRBC. I go to here. I go here. I go there. We have to listen every day. We have to listen with intent. We have to hold on to this word tenaciously. Because error is just all over the place. It's battering. It's battering and attacking. James speaks of the deception three times in this place. In verse 16, remember the hinge verse. Where does the sin come from? It comes from me and my temptation, and it brings forth death. Don't be deceived. That's where sin comes from. Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift, verse 17, comes from God. The, te- the, the danger in temptation is to say, oh, look at this nasty situation God's put me in. No, you put yourself in. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Do not be deceived. In our verse, it speaks of deceiving uh, ourselves. Then there's a person in verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. James is trying to tell us, don't be deceived by these things. Don't think that you get away with it by just listening. Self-deceit is in the scripture as well. 1 Corinthians 3.18, let no man deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he he would be wise. It's the foolishness of the gospel. It's not Greek wisdom. It's not saying, I read Calvin's Institutes and, and Manton's works. I'm done. Have you ever read Manton's works? Well, I don't know who Manton is. See? See that? See how smart I am? No, you're deceived. Find the foolish wisdom of the cross. Find the foolish wisdom at the, at, the, at the foot of the cross that nobody wants to talk about. You ever preach about the cross? Some guy died for everybody? Get that out of here. I, I'll study Plato. I want to study Aristotle. I study the real writers. That's just some Jewish guy that came along. That's just some prophet they thought. And then they killed him anyway. It's the foolishness of preaching that is really wise. Galatians 6.3, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You go around thinking, well, I'm really something. But you're nothing. You're deceiving yourself. It's a plausible argument to yourself. I'm really something. There's warning and commands. Ephesians 5.6, let no one deceive you with empty words. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. I, I'm not sure how that always works like that, but it does. The, the evil people pull down the good people. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this will he reap. I, I'm sure you get the idea. There are people in the, in the scriptures that are called deceivers. That's their characteristic. Titus 1.10. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers, and deceivers. Especially those of the circumcision who must be silenced. There's an active process of deception. There's evil people. There's imposters. 1 John 2.26. I write these things to you uh, about those who are trying to deceive you. There's people 
actually right there. I'm writing you this letter because there's people actually right there. They're trying to deceive you. 2 Timothy 3.13, while evil people and imposters will go on from being bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It should be clear to us that there is a lot of deception going on. We have seen examples and warnings and we need to take heed but James wants us to avoid the greatest danger, and that is the danger of self-deception, of hearing God's word and not doing anything about it. It's the worst kind of deception uh, that we could have. This is why we need to listen to what he said before. This is why we have to go back and, and, and hear what he said before. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. We have to go back there all the time and say, God, get rid of the sin that, that seems to be always there. Get rid of those things, that rampant wickedness, all that stuff. Get rid of it. And help me to be meek. As soon as somebody opens, opens the word, help me to say, God, I just want to hear what you, what you have to say. Uh, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, I believe, uh, uh, I just read it the other day. God finishes. He sees the vision. He's cleansed. And God says, who's going to go? And he just says, here, I'm right here. Send me. He's the only one. He's the only one. But, but, but that needs to be our humble hearts. Receive with meekness the implanted word. And we said, as Dr. Manton said, we have to educate our conscience. We have to get our conscience to, to, to that level. Hear and do. Hear and do. Not just say, well, I read the scriptures. I might read more scriptures than anybody else. I read 10 chapters. That's not the end. Oh, I like this preacher. I really go. I listen to him all the time. I listen to RefNet all the time. That doesn't do a thing. Because I can listen and not be changed. And I can listen over and over again. And I can hear five of those men as I go out day by day. I can listen all the time. But if it's not in my feet, if it's not in my life, it's not going to work. Manton wraps it up and he, he's, he, he's telling us to be careful because he says, self-love forbears to judge of the quality of the action or state that the soul may not be affrighted with the danger of it. You say, well, I don't want to go down that path. Because I really don't want to find out whether I don't do what God tells me to do. And, and that's what Manton is saying. Your self-love is going to prevent you from condemning yourself. We, we have a hard time condemning ourselves. Just like we have a hard time saying, I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? At the core is a complete humbling. And that, and that is tough. I'm sorry. Well, now you have to say, please forgive me. Oh, I thought I was going to get off. I thought I was going to get off, you see, but I didn't. You got to cross that line. Please forgive me. That's the thing. First, accept the first. I am sorry. Then accept the forgiveness. But but man says, 
we self-love forbears to judge the quality or state of our action. We're, we're afraid to. And then uh, uh, quickly, if possible, quickly, seven hindrances on this, on this to being doers of the word. And the first of all uh, that we mentioned is, is sin. Uh, sin is a roadblock. Unconfessed sin clogs up the heart. Do you have a grudge? Is there envy? We, we know it in our lives practically. When we haven't prayed for a couple of days, we haven't read God's word. Something is wrong. There's sin. And it's amazing. It's our, our souls prove that the book is alive because we stay away from it. We don't want to contact. We don't want to read a passage that might condemn us. Well, let me read the genealogies again. They're safe. There's not much conviction in the genealogy, but do we do that? Sin is a roadblock. Unconfessed sin clogs up our hearts. There's complacency. There's self-righteousness and self-satisfaction. Oh, I'm, I've been studying the scripture for years. I, I went to church X, and then I went to church Y, and then I went to church Z, so... There's familiarity. We have to be careful of familiarity with the worship service, the preacher, the surroundings. Familiarity, it said, breeds contempt. But maybe we need a fresh, re a fresh approach. We, we, we might have to say, God, I want to go to the church that I've been going to for 15 years as if I never went there before. And make it fresh to me. Make it new. Make it like I'm a novice. Make it like I'm a new Christian. Something. Another hindrance to being a doer of the word is, is distraction. Distraction of life, trials, cares of the world. The parable says all those things do what? They choke out the word. You, you, you've seen it in your, you, you've seen it with plants. You, 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 you've seen it. One is wrapped around the other. You can't get them, you can't get them separated. You wonder how do they, how do they, they grow? Sin, complacency, familiarity, distraction. And then there's formality. A person that's a formalist is just satisfied with being formal, with the routine. I was there. I went to evening service. I went to the morning. That's it. I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied just to hear. I'm satisfied just to do. Basically, I, I'm happy with that. But a person who's a formalist is just going through the motions. There's no enthusiasm and thirst for, for these things. And then there could be a problem with our intention and our, our goals. I appreciate the fact that here we pray every time for God's word to be written on our hearts. I'm, uh, it, it's so important. But we have to make it our goal to get the word in and be doers of the word. God's glory, communion, fellowship, enjoyment. What did John say? If you're doing it, you prove that you know him. You prove that you know the living God by, by being obedient. What is our intention? What's our goal? And then there's those people. Well, there are two people that were on the road to with Jesus and he, he talked to them and they said you're the only person 
in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? Don't you know what happened? And they tell what happened. And then he says, Oh, foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the scripture says. Brethren, let's not be foolish and slow of heart. We have no excuse. Those two disciples on the road to Emmaus had just experienced amazing things in their lives. They saw somebody that they hoped in, falsely accused, tried, and killed. And then there was a rumor that he was risen again. They didn't even say they believed it. They said some people reported it. They were going through the most amazing change, maybe in the history of man, I would say that's true. And Jesus says, the problem, your problem is you're dull of hearing. What is it with us when we have so many ways to get God's word into our hearts? I take the phone, I touch RefNet, and I touch the play button, and I can listen to sermons for hours and hours and hours. Deception is all around, brothers and sisters, but the truth is all around as well. We have so many helps for Bible reading. We have so many helps for getting the scripture into our hearts. But are we dull of hearing? Are we not making progress in spiritual growth? Are we Hebrews 6 Christians? We should be teachers by now. But we're just reading the basics. We're just thinking about the basics. So as we close, let's think about those things. Is there sin that's preventing me from being a doer of the word? Is there complacency, familiarity, distraction, formality? Oh, do I have wrong intentions and goals? Or is there a heart problem? And finally, we should imitate Christ. He said on multiple occasions, he did whatever the Father told him. And he spoke the Father's words. And he said, I've completed, I've completed what you've brought, you, you've sent me to do, John 17, 4, having accomplished everything you said. So that's a basic, simple, straightforward verse, but all the scripture backs it up. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, uh, deceiving yourselves. Let's pray. Lord, we, we bless your name. Uh, for your word, we, we have this unspeakable treasure in our, in our hands, in our possession. We have ways to study it, means to listen to it. Help us to be doers. Help us to avoid those hindrances, Lord. Help us to educate our conscience. Help us to stir ourselves up. Help us to walk in a way that would be pleasing to you and verify our profession that we know you. In Jesus' name, amen.